Hello, mamas. Welcome back to episode three in our Empowered Birth series. Today, we're talking all about perineal preparation and tearing. Enjoy. Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. It's pregnancy with to episode three in our Empowered Birth series with the wonderful midwife, Loretta. Today, we're talking about a hot topic. I get asked this question all the time. I knew it needed an entire episode dedicated to it. We are talking perineal preparation and tearing. So many women, especially first-time mamas and women who are recovering from perineal tears or episiotomies, want to know what they can do to best prepare their perineum for birth this time around. So today's episode is going to be so good for you. If you haven't already, also go back and check out episode one and two if you haven't seen them in this series because we cover some really great topics. One, recipe for a positive birth experience. We cover so many great nuggets of gold in that to help set you up for a really unobserved, private and safe environment. And then episode two, we talk about birth plans and preferences. And I think that ties in with today's episode because there are certain preferences that you may have about your perineal preparation and protection during birth. And as we cover today, there's so many ways that you can prepare your perineum, not just before birth, but also during the crowning phase. There are some techniques that you can utilize. So it's important to have this conversation with your birth team, with yourself, decide what's important to you, decide what you'd like to do or what your preferences might be around that based on the evidence that Loretta presents today. So it's really, really important. Now, Loretta is our resident midwife for this series. She is a mom. She's a midwife. She does acuneedling. She does birth preparation and birth courses and calm birth. She's an all-round legend. If you want to learn more from her, please go and check her out at Midwife Loretta on Instagram. She does offer online or in-person coaching and consults. She is so lovely. So I would definitely recommend you go and check her out. And we do have one more episode coming up in this series talking about optimal maternal and baby positioning. So this is for all the mamas who are thinking about baby's head being engaged, breech position, posterior position, whatever your question, hopefully we answer it in the next episode. If you do want to consume all of this podcast at once, rather than waiting for me to release each episode each week, I always put this up inside the Pregnancy Posse membership first. So all my members get access to the entire series. So you get a good month ahead of what most people get to listen to. So if that interests you, if you want to consume it all at once, come and join us inside the Pregnancy Posse. We also have an epic bonus material for this podcast series. Loretta has kindly gifted all Pregnancy Posse members her Perry What Guide, which covers everything to do with perineal preparation, perineal tears, recovery after perineal tears, all of that. So that ties in so beautifully to today's episode. So if after listening today, you want further information, further follow-up, further guidance, I do encourage you to come and join us inside the pregnancyposse.com. You can access this free guide. We also have multiple Q&A sessions I've done on perineal preparation where I talk about the epino, perineal massage and whatnot. And we have an epic community forum where People ask these questions and I answer them. Other women answer them. They give their experience. So if you want to be surrounded by a beautiful community of mums and not go down that Google rabbit hole, I do encourage you to come join us. ThePregnancyPosse.com. You can trial it for seven days. Otherwise, let's get into this episode. Let's chat all about our perineums, our beautiful perineums. Enjoy. Let's talk about perineal preparation. So... 
This is a, such a common question I get asked. I think another fear, apart from labor pain, which we've already spoken about, another fear for women is about tearing and mm-hmm. about how their perineum is going to look, feel, function after birth. So I want to go into perineal preparation, what you recommend for your women and maybe like helping women to feel confident in this arena rather than scared that, you know, I hear a lot of women talking about, I'm just going to tear from A to B or, you know, like I've got babies big and I've got a big head. I think there's a lot of fear around this perineum not being able to, you know, hold itself up. And so I want to talk about, yeah, what do you recommend and what advice do you have for women who are worried about perineal tears? Yeah, it is a really big one, Laura. And again, understandably so, you know, it plays on many women's minds. And of course it does, because it sounds horrific when, you know, the way we hear about it too. And like you said, tearing from A to B, it's not helpful. But again, I think it comes back to that knowledge and learning about your body mm-hmm. and understanding that your body and especially your perineum. So your perineum is that area between the vaginal opening and the anus. And it is made up of these collagenous, elastic fibres that are made to stretch to birth your baby's head and body and coming back to trust in that and knowing how we can work with it. So the things that we can do maybe during pregnancy, such as um, perineal massage, although, yeah, the evidence is mixed around that and it doesn't, um, I was looking at the Cochrane review around that it doesn't say that perineal massage during pregnancy actually reduces the risk of tearing but it does reduce the risk of episiotomy so a little bit mixed um, around that making sure you're eating a good diet nourishing food looking after your body so that if you do have a tear you know it will heal well and just knowing that it is normal so up to around 50 percent of women will have some degree of perineal tearing um, and because the lining of um, the perineum and the vagina is like that oral mucosa in your mouth. So it generally heals well um, with good rest, um, good support from women's health physio. So understanding that and again, kind of normalizing that. Um, and the most common kinds of tears that we see, are, you know, first and second degree tears. So they're the more minor types of tearing. And for most women, they will heal without um, too many um, issues or long-term complications. Um, So, and when you look at the statistics, it's when we look at the more severe types of tears, which is the third and fourth degree tears, that is a, makes up a really small number of of women. So less than 3% of women, I think it was, that was from 2019, um, Mm -hmm. will have those more severe types of tears. So the more common ones are, much um, less serious and will generally heal up really well so I think yeah looking after yourself in pregnancy eating a good diet maybe perineal massage if you find that helpful again I I want to preface that with you know trusting that your body's made to do that so you don't necessarily have to do anything um, because your body's really capable anyway but for some women it can help to get them in tune with that part of their body. It might help you to experience some of that stretching sensation. Um, And so it can be a helpful tool if women like to do it. Mm. And if if someone does want to do perineal massage, when do you recommend they start doing that? Yeah, so I think what we know from the research is starting from around 34 weeks 
Um, it's there's mixed information around the frequency of doing it. So I think it's around one to two times a week. Um, and you don't need to do it for very long, but using some form of lubricant. And there are some different techniques that you can use um, to do it as well. So yeah, I yeah, I personally found it hard to do. I <laughs> I found it quite challenging. Um, physically just to reach that area or like mentally what was your challenge I think I think a bit of both Mm. yeah and for me when I was um I found the pushing stage of labor quite challenging and I think it was that like you said that it's such a whole body experience pushing and it just takes over and it's so intense um so yeah I I found it quite challenging so interesting and did if this is too much information, we can always cut it out. But did you have any perineal tears with either of your births? Yes. So I had I had a second degree tear with both. Yes. And did they yeah. need to be stitched or just natural healing? Yes. Yes, I did have them stitched, yeah. Which, I'm, again, I'm, yeah. I'm curious in- to know what your – so let, that happened in your first birth and then coming into your second birth, did you have any – tension or anxieties around tearing again yeah I definitely did because for me I was one of those rare ones that had a bit of trouble with the healing process and I look back and I know why because I didn't rest enough first time I didn't get enough horizontal rest Mm. I was sitting on the couch a lot but I I think I was I thought okay I need to hop up and go for a walk around the block and I just pushed myself too much. I also did lots of baby wearing first time. So I don't know whether that contributed, but I had, um, yeah, it, it took longer and I know why. I now know why. And so I was really determined second time around to do more of that, more time in bed. And I did. And it was it, it was amazing the difference it made. Um, but I definitely did have some things to work through with that, I think. And that's why I really wanted to do some perineal massage to you know help with any scar tissue and just that trust yeah. um I did yeah even pushing second time I that was my least favorite part and so interesting because a lot of women love pushing I don't know about you Laura but they feel like right I can do something yeah. but I just found it really I think the surrender was hard for me because mm, I was I like know. oh I can't control this my whole body's reverse vomiting that's how I'd describe it yes yeah. <laughs> Like reverse vomiting, isn't it? Like, it's like nothing I've ever experienced in that. Yes, it's like reverse vomiting, but like the scale, the intensity was like nothing I've ever experienced. I've never, I've never, it was like a thousand times stronger than a vomit, you know, like it was just so intense. I actually, I feel very neutral on the pushing phase. I, um, I didn't love it. I, I guess I, I did like it and I knew finally my three-day labour was coming. <laughs> <laughs> so there was some relief in knowing we were at the final stages. Uh, for me, it, it just felt very effort, effortful. Is that a word? Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of effort involved. I did. I do have big babies. She was four kilos. So yeah. it's not like she was, you know, slid on out easily. But um, there was just a lot of effort. I think that that was my main summary of the pushing phase effort like strong hard effort a lot of force yeah it was interesting not what I expected I also thought that I would feel like I wanted to poo didn't feel like that 
So that was interesting for me as well, because a lot of women had said, you're going to feel like you need to poo. And I was like, oh, I didn't really, I did, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't feel like I needed to. So yeah, that was really interesting. Um, and for those women who are like, you'll hear a million stories, but I had a four kilo baby. My perineum was 100% intact. So it's certainly not like big baby equals tear, small baby equals like plenty of women have tiny babies and still have perineal tears. There's so many factors to weigh into that. Um, so we're speaking about perineal massage. So you're saying from 34 weeks onward, the evidence is definitely shaky one to two times a week. Um, a lot of women ask me how, you know, because it's big belly. So I don't know about you. I recommend women in like a reclined seated position. Um, if you're really struggling to still get down there, you mm-hmm. can get your partner to help you. However, I do think it is much better personally to get you to do it because you know your body best. So you know, instead of having that delayed feedback loop of, oh, hang on, that's a bit too strong or that doesn't feel right. And then by the time you feed that to your partner and then they change their pressure or whatnot, you know, that's a bit too much of a delay, I think. So I prefer women do it themselves. So they really get in tune with that area, but that is an option as well that um, your partner can do it. What about, what's your take on all the devices out there these days? So obviously EpiNo is a big one that a lot of women use. I've had, I get women send me brands of different things all the time saying, what about this for perineal prep and whatnot? Um, What's your take on, say, let's talk about the EpiNo. Yeah. And that's so interesting. I was just looking at um, that yesterday. I'd had some questions about it. I was just seeing if there was any updates. And so I did find some research around that. And it said that there was no evidence that it was helpful in reducing, um, you know, the risk of perineal tearing or the severity at all. Mm. Um, So I think that's important. But Again, it's always nuanced, Laura, isn't it? There's always context. And I I do think, is it really a positive thing if we're continually stretching that area? You know, we've got, we give birth and then usually there's a prolonged, not prolonged, but there's a period of time in between the next birth. So, you know, is it really helpful for the pelvic floor and those, um, the perineal tissues to be constantly stretched? Like it's, you know, we don't know the impacts of that long-term. Um, whether that could be potentially harmful Mm. and I also think yeah it's that thing of we're outsourcing that trust in our bodies like we've got everything we need to to birth our babies within us our babies do as well you know they're they're designed to present in a way where the smallest diameter of their head will move through the vaginal opening Um, not that that always happens but their little um, skull bones will mold so we need to remember that firstly Mm. but I do know on the flip side of some women who really found it helpful and they liked it because it got them comfortable with those sensations so again it's never black and white and you do you boo again (laughs) the general theme of the conversation (laughs) yeah during labor or during the pushing phase is there anything that women could use or should ask for or that is evidence-based that is being used to help protect the perineum from tearing yes so there are a few things so um mostly they are about you know the slow stretch of the tissues so like a slow birth of the head and allowing give in the tissues. So um, those that would mean, you know, we're allowing the tissues to stretch up slowly. So trying to slow down that pushing um, if we can, once we start to feel those sensations. And when women are birthing uninhibited, 
they'll tend to do that themselves mm. because they'll feel that and they'll get that feedback. Oh, I can feel that stretching or that burning or whatever that might be. So I'm going to slow down my pushes. Although, side note on that, I remember birthing my second. I was very impatient and I said to myself in my head, I'm going to push this baby out in one push. I'm not going to slow down. <laughs> I remember just like swearing at my beautiful midwife in my head, just thinking, I'll show you um, just because I was ready for that to be over. Yeah, yeah. So don't do that. That's not a recommendation. And I, I didn't. But um, <laughs> so ideally, yes, yeah, slowing that birth, the birth of the head. And again, if you find it helpful to get some um, guidance from your care provider and you want them to be hands-on, that's okay. You can also be hands-on yourself. So you could help feel your baby's head, um, you know, to guide yourself in how much you're pushing. But generally this happens pretty instinctively when women are left to do it. Mm. Um, with If someone has an epidural, that really changes things because usually they'll need some help with pushing because there's often not a lot of sensation and they're not getting that feedback. So that's really different. And usually they'll be guided when to push and sort of where to push, depending on how well the epidural is working, of course. So slow birth of the head. The other things to think about are you might want to have a warm compress. So there was a big study done by Hannah Darlin um, in Australia, the... um, warm pack trial um and so that's just having you could use a warm face washer or just a a peri pad that we have at the hospital in warm water on that perineal um, area as the baby's head is crowning Mm. again some women will like it and find that it's quite soothing other women will find it invasive and really not like it so again something you could put on your birth plan Um, and the other thing is so sorry with the warm compresses they were they found that they reduced the chance of third or fourth degree tears um, discomfort during pushing and pain in the first few days after birth as well as reduce the risk of urinary incontinence in the first three months which was a bit of a surprising finding Hmm. so that's really positive and we that's pretty standard practice in hospitals now at least where I work Hmm. Um, but again something you can write down and the other one is position so your birth position so when we talk about giving the tissues if you think about if you're standing directly upright so you've got gravity and the pressure of baby's head or presuming baby's head down on that perineal area so that's putting a lot of strain on those tissues and so it makes sense that that increases the risk of tearing um, as does being in lithotomy so on your back with legs up in um, stirrups so and most women like you did Laura will tend to they might be pushing upright and then once baby's head starts crowning they usually tend to go into an all fours position fairly instinctively Mm. um, because it does take that reduce those sensations a little bit so we know that birthing on all fours and birthing on in a sideline position um, can reduce the risk of, of tearing as well. So, but again, yeah, whatever feels comfortable for you. I know I birthed both of my girls in all fours position. I found that most comfortable. Mm. Um, but yeah, it makes sense, I suppose, when you think about less give in the tissues and that sort of thing. I'm sorry, more give in the tissues in yeah. those positions. Yeah, no, that's really interesting to know. Um, And I think that's all such great information. I echo all of the sentiments that you mentioned. So when I talk about perineal preparation inside the pregnancy posse, 
Yeah. I, I also quote that like really the evidence is um, the jury's not out on yay yeah. or nay for it. Um, I think the things you have to factor up is cost. So, you know, when it comes to say an EpiNo, yeah. it's not going to be in everyone's budget. I used an EpiNo for my first birth because it was recommended by my OB. Yes. Um, and to be honest, like I found it just really, I think there's so much on your plate already. The thought of sitting in my bedroom, putting a balloon in my vagina, expanding <laughs> it. I don't know. Some people will really froth up that. It was not my cup of tea at all. I was like, this is so much effort. This doesn't feel right. Like whatever. I wasn't interested. Um, but again, for some women, I think if that's really um, motivating for you, like if that's something that you really want to, you know, like prepare for, I think the benefits for me, and I don't, really think that it's hard to study them but I think it's mm. the confidence with knowing yeah. that your perineum can be stretched and it can feel uncomfortable and you can still relax and you can still breathe through it so for me I get women to use their labor strategies and their their downplay like with their pelvic floor and being able to relax and not fight against that tension I think that's a really powerful part of per- perineal preparation again I talk about this inside the posse a lot but it's just about if your instinct is when something gets stretched or is feeling uncomfortable to tense up against it, which we know for labor doesn't work either. Like we want to learn how to relax through these surges. Same with the perineum. So if you can start to feel that ring of fire or that pressure and you know, like you've got the confidence that you can relax through that, then I think that's the most powerful bit. And I think the other benefit is getting to know your body you know like so many women still do not touch themselves look at themselves enough you know like that's just a whole other issue with masturbation shame and whatnot but I think it's so good and powerful for women to touch themselves to massage themselves to get to know their vulvas before birth Um, I think that's super powerful particularly as well for those women who have had tears in the past and they've got a bit of scar tissue or maybe they've had an episiotomy or maybe there's a little bit of trauma in that area having painful sex whatever the issue is you know something's not right down there self-touch is so healing and I think that's such a huge part for me to do more so perineal massage than say the epino but just that touch like really reacquainting yourself with your vulva with your perineum like loving on it again I think that's really really powerful so um yeah that's that's my ethos on perineal preparation I'd love to know uh, what your thoughts are on episiotomies and what the evidence shows as well for episiotomies these days because I know that this is a very common intervention at the moment and I know that it's causing a lot of pain for a lot of women and a lot of women are unsure, I guess, on is it better to, you know, tear? Is it better to have an episiotomy? Do we know? Can you let us in? Mm. Yes, so... I think this is starting to change. Again, it takes time. Um, But, you know, years ago, and certainly when birth moved into the hospitals, episiotomy was fairly routine, standard practice. We don't see that as much now, which is really good because we know that they shouldn't be used routinely. So when you have an episiotomy, you are more likely to have that tear extend to a third or fourth degree tear. Whereas um, as opposed to letting um, your body tear naturally. That's really interesting because I thought the, the justification for an episiotomy was to reduce your chance of having a third or fourth mm. degree tear. So the evidence is actually saying you're more likely to tear. 
Yes, so it's more likely to extend to a more serious type of tear, so the third or fourth degree tear. Now, it's always, of course, case by case. So there are there is a certain type of tear that can happen um, where sometimes episiotomies can be helpful and are used because I suppose in some ways they are easier to suture because the it's more easy to align the tissues. But for healing and recovery, it is better for women to tear by themselves. So they should only really be used if there's a reason why baby needs to be born quickly. So if baby was distressed or if you're needing to have an instrumental or an assisted birth, so a forceps or a vacuum, and that's to create more space um, to use the instruments. And again, not all practitioners will do that routinely, but there, there is some evidence that it can reduce trauma to the bladder and the, um, the urethra and that sort of thing when a, an episiotomy is used. But I was having a look at the latest evidence around episiotomies and it was saying that, yeah, they're more likely to extend to third or fourth degree tears, cause ongoing pain, urinary incontinence and painful sex. So should only be used in on a case-by-case basis, not routinely as part of people's practice. Mm, for sure. And I guess that's another thing for women to just have a think about before they go into pregnancy and birth about what, because if you're about to push your baby out and you're mm. being told in you know, the heat of the moment that, oh, we, we need to cut you because baby's X, Y, and Z, you know, you're very, very compliant when you've got all those hormones running through you. So if you don't know pros and cons say of an episiotomy I imagine that most women of course are going to say well yeah I want my baby to come out but I guess if you can have these discussions with your care team beforehand about well if a situation were to present or maybe even take one step back what situation may present where you may offer me this procedure and is there another way that we can go about managing that like what's the plan b plan c if i don't want to have an episiotomy and and maybe just having these discussions beforehand definitely and they should always you you need to consent to that like that's a procedure and something that can is very invasive so you know and i really i don't i really hate it when i see um you know obstetricians say i'm just making a little cut because it's not just a little cut. It goes into the, the skin, the muscles. It's m- much more than that. And even if it is an emergency situation, you still need to give consent for that, like anything that's being done to your body. Yes. Yeah, it's, that's really important. Yeah, so I think, again, it's a good talking point for women to yeah. have this discussion with their care team beforehand yes. um, and make their preferences very clear if that yeah. is something that... You prefer not to have unless it's, which it should only be used as an absolute necessity necessity anyway. But I do believe the stats on episiotomy are pretty damn high at the moment, aren't they? Very high. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I was going to say, I was looking that up as well. And I think it was, so 24% of women who didn't have an assisted or instrumental birth were having episiotomies. And that's much higher than what, you know, the recommended rate is um and 79% who had an assisted birth which yeah makes sense I suppose but yeah it's a different situation yes because like you're saying you're you're introducing something different into the vaginal space so and I'm sure we probably don't have the studies to say forceps with or without an episiotomy I'm not sure if we do have those studies but I I can't imagine we would yeah so that's different but we're talking just like for the most part fairly straightforward birth 
are, are we needing to do that? Is there a plan B or a plan C? Um, and just helping women to understand all it is that, you know, they could um, be saying yes and no to or asking questions about. So that's great. Thank you so much. That's really going to be helpful for women. I know there's a lot of questions about this. So yeah, that's really, really awesome. And I get a lot of questions as well about, uh, and I'm sure you do, (laughs) about, and we're not going to dive into it today, but I just want to touch on, I do talk about this in the pregnancy posse. If you've had a third or fourth degree tear or an episiotomy, how to help decide on your birth preferences for next time so a lot of women then feel like they're in this position of like well do I have a vaginal birth do I have a cesarean section you know what is the go-to so um, we're not going to dive into that now because that's a whole other topic but that's very valid question I do talk about in my membership if anyone wants to chat to me about it hi mamas I really hope that you got a lot out of that episode I know that this is a question I get asked all the time about perineal preparation so if you love this episode I would really love to hear from you over on my socials at physio Laura and let me know a if you are planning to do any sort of perineal preparation and what that might be what are you trying to do what are you going to do massage epino let me know or b if you have already had a baby in the past maybe you tried something maybe you felt like it did or didn't work or what your experience of it was I would so love to hear that and I think that would be really helpful for other women to read about your experience of perineal preparation so I personally like I mentioned use the epino in my first quite half-heartedly if I'm being honest Um, but I think the best thing about perineal preparation is the mental side of it so if you are thinking about it, I would recommend you do it from a mental point of view. The physical, we're not so sure about just yet, but um, I think that the mental and the confidence side of things can be really great. So please come and let me know at Physio Laura on my socials and let me know what you got out of this. And if you want to learn more from Midwife Loretta, you can find her on Instagram at Midwife Loretta. If you have learned anything from this uh, podcast and you want to shout from the rooftops how amazing it was, also tag her. That would be so wonderful for her to see what women are learning about and understanding from her wonderful chat on this topic and remember she is also kindly gifted all pregnancy posse members an epic perineal guide inside the pregnancy posse membership so this peri what guide covers what the perineum is what perineal tears are and what they might look like and what they might mean and how we can prepare the perineum best for birth and how we can recover as well so that's an epic guide for all members inside the pregnancy posse so you can find out more at thepregnancyposse.com and you can trial it for seven days and if that doesn't interest you we also do weekly workouts if you want to get your body moving that is so good as well for preparing yourself for labor and birth to be mobile to be strong to be fit come and do the weekly workouts inside the posse with us they are such a great way to move your body during pregnancy they're all tailored to the exact week of pregnancy so it takes the brain work out of it and all the guessing so it's epic it's fabulous i know you want to join me so come and join me thepregnancyposse.com and you can trial it for seven days now we have one more episode coming up in this incredible empowered birth series where we're going to be talking all about optimal maternal and baby positioning so we're talking about getting baby in the best position possible in your pelvis for an epic labor and birth this can be a real pain point for a lot of women if baby is in a slightly off position and so we talk about that with Loretta and about all the different things that you can expect and what you can do to try and help baby get in that ideal position so stay tuned for that episode do make sure you subscribe to the pregnancy with physio Laura podcast so that you don't have to come and manually find me it will pop up on your favorite podcast players newsfeed 
and the work is done. So I hope wherever you are, you are having the best day ever. And if you're not, that's cool too. Got to lean into all the different emotions, all the different feelings. But regardless, look after yourself, be kind to yourself. And I will catch you soon for episode four in this Empowered Birth Series. Bye.